Hi, friends. Welcome back once again to the Tomorrow's Tune In podcast. I am your host, Chris Marshall, and this is show number 21 for the month of June 2009. Today on the show, we're going to be talking with Jason Hofius and George Corey about their new book, The Age of TV Heroes, which is a retrospective of all the costume superheroes that have been portrayed on television, from the 1950s Superman all the way up through Smallville of today. So stick around for that. In the news this week, only one item, and just announced a few days ago on the Tomorrow's blog by John Morrow, there is a 50% off sale of 30 books over at Tomorrow's.com. You can get 50% off on select companion books, modern masters, DVDs, and many, many more. Look for the banner on the homepage over at Tomorrow's.com and get them before they are gone. They are going to go fast for sure. For all other information, hey, head on over to Tomorrow's.com and the blog and subscribe with your favorite RSS reader. It's the best way to keep in touch with all the happenings over at Tomorrow's.com. For right now, let's get on to the new releases for June 2009. And there's only four releases coming out this month, and we'll go over them pretty quickly here. Alter Ego number 86. Alter Ego number 86 asks, What hath Kurtzman wrought? It's an examination of those frantic four-color mad wannabes from 1953 through 1955 in the era when everybody was copying Harvey Kurtzman. This book is going to be a lot of fun to check out. I can't wait to get it. It is slated to come out on Wednesday, June 10th. Next up, we have Brick Journal number 6, Volume 2, the summer 2009 issue for $8.95. This full-color issue takes a look at classic Lego sets as well as new sets, including Brandon Griffiths, Star Trek models. That is pretty timely, isn't it? This book is slated to come out on Friday, June 19th. Next up, All-Star Companion Volume 4, the final All-Star Companion, actually, for $27.95. This epic series of All-Star Companion goes out with a bang, featuring colossal coverage of the Golden Age All-Star comics, sensational secrets of the Junior Justice League, an index of the complete solo adventures of all 18 original JSSers in their own features from 1940 to 1951, which is something I'm really looking forward to having, actually. The JSA's earliest imitators, including Seven Soldiers of Victory, the All-Winners Squad, the Marvel Family, and the International Crime Patrol. There's also Infinity, Inc. on Earth 2, and much more, including the 1980s Secret Origin series. This book is slated to come out on Wednesday, June 24th. And finally, a book that was supposed to come out in May, but it has been delayed until June here, coming out June 17th, The Comic Book Podcast Companion, which features yours truly for $15.95. This is a 128-page trade paperback by Eric Houston. So look for that. For right now, let's get to the interview with Jason and George on The Age of TV Heroes. All right, I am here with George Corey and Jason Hofius, and they are the authors of the new book from Tomorrow's called The Age of TV Heroes, Live Action Adventures of Your Favorite Comic Book Characters. Guys, thanks for coming on the show this uh, month. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for asking us. This looks like a really, really fun book and something that really hasn't 
been done ever before. And what you guys essentially are going to do is take a look at the TV shows that have come out in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and even 90s up through today, right, about the uh, about superheroes on TV. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All all from uh, from the 50s all the way up to uh, what's the latest one we did, George the Tick. Well, the Tick we felt was like the most recent superhero. Well, that's not true because Smallville is part of it, but like we thought we were covering basically the main comic book superhero based TV, you know TV shows, and the Tick was one of the quintessential ones that we felt that we had to cover as a chapter. Mm-hmm. And for that one, we got uh, Ben Endelin, the creator of the Tick, Patrick Warburton. Yeah, the actor who played the Tick and Larry Charles, one of the writer producers on the show, yeah, lent his like... credibility. <laughs> Jason, how did this Sorry? book come about from the beginning, like it, its inception? Uh, boy, back I think around 2003, George and I had finished up uh, the G Force book, the one we worked on previously, and we talked on the phone a lot about you know the things that we like and what we enjoyed, and uh, looking for another topic to write about. <clears throat> I think both of us independently came up with this idea at different times and got onto it and uh, really just started discussing what could go into it, if there was anything like it out there anywhere that we could find, which we couldn't, and who we'd be able to get a hold of to talk to about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, just, it finally all came together from that. Um, anything you want to throw in, George? Um, I mean, the only thing we were worried about was whether we could get most of these Hollywood-type people, like actors and directors and writers. So that was the only reservation. And we, luckily yeah. with this project, we, we didn't have any, we didn't run into any major problems. We got everybody we felt we needed to get. Even going back to the old Adventures of Superman in the 50s then? Yeah. Like for that one, we were especially lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We, we got Jack Larson. We were able to speak to both Lois Lane, Noel Neal, and Phyllis Coates. And then you guys just go through the sixties. How is this? How is this really? How is this book constructed? Really, it's well. We've got the beginning broken down through the decades, like a, a quick timeline, mm-hmm. and then sequentially, you know, like uh, the first major chapter is Superman mixed in with uh, Lois and Clark, <clears throat> and then we try to follow roughly um, sequentially, you know, as as the show has happened. So the next one is Batman. And then Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, and on and on and on. Did you find in your research that there were pilots that were made that never got a chance to air, or ideas that never got on screen? Yeah, definitely. And what were some of those, really? Um, I'm sure some of the people know about already, like uh, the initial Wonder Woman pilot Mm -hmm. and the Batgirl pilot that eventually got folded into the series. Um. Or some of the other odd ones, George. You remember uh, all Super Pup? Super Pup, yes. Which I believe, uh, yeah, that got a release on a, a DVD set a couple of years ago. And that, and the ju- the Justice League uh, pilot, the JLA oh, pilot yeah, from yeah. the nineties, yeah. ninety-seven one, yeah. What was Super Pup all about? Uh, little Super people Pup. in dog costumes with with giant dog heads, believe it or not. <laughs> and it was just. Pretty much an episode of, of Superman with, with little people in dog costumes. It was basically the, the, the Superman television producers trying to figure out a way to continue the Superman franchise without George Reeves. Right. And that didn't exactly work. No, yeah, I don't see that really working with, out. Yeah. With the, uh, the Superboy pilot from the early 60s as well. 
which I thought was quite good. Now, Jason, when you mentioned the the bad girl pilot, there was one I, I saw it on YouTube. There's like a a five minute or ten minute introduction that uh, mm. it's pretty rare footage. Actually, is that the one you're talking about? Uh, with fight scene taking place in a library. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, okay, and that is that on. Um, can you find that on bootleg or how did that? Can you yeah, find it, that anywhere other than YouTube? Or? Through, yeah, other other resources. Yes. Okay. No official release on that anywhere. Same thing with the Wonder Woman pilot. And talk about the Wonder Woman pilot. What what was the gist of that? Uh, very, very strange. It was much different than the, the series we ended up with. And uh, I think that was what... Do you remember, George, about seven minutes? Seven or eight minutes? Yeah, it's not very long. It's like just six or seven minutes. With Linda Harrison. Yeah, yep. And she was sort of a... Uh, a put upon adolescent girl in the suburbs that that uh, uh, her mother knew her identity okay. and was more interested in in having her go out and find a husband than anything else. And it uh, it played very very comic and uh, a lot different than to what we ended up with. That's for sure. Well, another Wonder Woman was a uh, Kathy Lee Crosby Wonder yes. Woman. What yeah, did you do any that. research on that one? Oh, yes. Yeah, we talked about that. And uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to get a hold of anybody from that production, although Linda Carter did have some memories about auditioning for it. Mm. So she discusses that a little bit. And then you basically go through, like you said, go through the years, through the 80s, and uh, the Spider-Man TV show. Right. Did you get a chance to talk to Nicholas Hammond, who played uh, Spider-Man? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we did. We talked to Nicholas Hammond. It was uh, very difficult to track down. Um, living in Australia at the moment, <clears throat> it took us quite a while of, of back and forth with him to finally finally get a response. And once uh, once we got through to him, he was fine. You know, he, he talked for for a while about uh, his role on that, how he got it, and and everything else. But uh, yeah, that was a little bit of a challenge to get a hold of him. Uh-huh. I I know Nicholas Hammond more from watching The Sound of Music than I do on Spider Man these days. Right, with the kids. right. <laughs> and what about uh, going through, you know, some of the other things like you've talked to William Cat on the Greatest American Hero and that whole series? Yeah, yes, we, yeah we got a hold of him, George. You wanna? Yeah, that's one of our sort of bonus type segments. And Greatest American Hero isn't necessarily a comic book, you know, based character. It basically, was produced for television. Mm-hmm. So we were able to get like William Cat and Stephen Cannell to talk to us about the show. And, you know, it was an interesting show because it was something like DC opposed to it at the time it came out because they felt like they sort of, you know, the, the characters was a little similar to Superman. And we talk about the origins and how basically ABC wanted the superhero show because they saw, they saw the potential, you know, once the Superman movie came out to have more superhero-based programming. And that sort of brought this about. And Stephen Cannell, you know, basically put this pitch together and they fell for it. I always thought that the greatest American hero was more based upon like Green Lantern or Nova. Yeah, than you would think Superman. That, that, that should have been the angle they should have took. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he but was, they started as they started more as Superman, like, which is sort of what the network had in mind, you know. But it is a different character. You know? uh-huh. But like, he's not a comic book person, Stephen Cannell. Like, he he even didn't want to do this thing because he just has this perception of what comics are, you know, the stereotype. And as he started doing the show, he started seeing more possibilities, you know, more 
interesting ways he could take the character and stuff. Yeah, didn't didn't he even say that was one of the uh, stipulations that he wanted the the costume to have the powers and not the man before he'd do the show? Yep. Wasn't that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I remember watching that as a kid growing up. I mean, every Saturday night or whenever it was on, we watched it all the time. Yeah, like but he like was sort of like the first. He's a, oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say like he's sort of like the first wisecracking sort of superhero, you know, a bit of a smart ass and that sort of stuff. So what what other? Uh, what other things are can we expect from this book, George? We're hoping that people get like the same. You know, for us, if this was like a, a trip back to like a time to when you could actually believe in these superheroes. And, you know, like it's a different era before all you know Star Wars and all these special effects. I mean, for the most part, the shows that these shows like sort of paved the way for fantasy, you know, in television and movies. We that's what, sort of what we wanted to get people back. You know, it's like like this is basically like our childhood and stuff, you know, within this book. And remind people that superheroes are supposed to be fun and that sort of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And that this is a pivotal genre in television and movies, you know. Here you see basically the back, you know, how this was this came to be from these shows, which people perceive as silly. But were actually kind of, you know, fun and important and move, you know, even television production into bigger things, you know. Jason, when you look back on these shows, especially in the 70s and 80s, and they're kind of their campiness, I mean, compared to like Smallville, where these days when you do a, uh, a superhero TV show, there's a, a lot of influence coming from companies like a, a DC or a Marvel, having, you know, getting their writers on there and doing it. But did they have, did these productions like a Wonder Woman or, uh, you know, other TV shows like Greatest American Hero or Spider-Man, did they look to the experts in the field at that time, or did the writers just have a free-for-all of what they want to do with their characters? They, they had this, too. I don't know why people think like that. Like, I, like Superman show was basically produced by somebody who, who came from D.C., you know, Whitney Ellsworth. He came from D.C. Comics, you know. And some of the writers even worked on this thing. You know, Mark Weisinger had a big influence on the Superman TV show. Yeah. And the same for the Batgirl, uh, for the Batman television show. Batgirl was... Pre- you know, came about from, for, for TV, you know, like Carmen Infantino, he designed her, it was for television, it wasn't in the comics, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was a lot of back and forth between the comic people. And Stan Lee was heavily involved, which is why we have him in the book, you know. There's, we wanted to show, like, you know, that just, like, they relied on these guys to get their information from, you know. But I think also a lot of the uh, non-involvement is true, too. Because, uh, mm-hmm. like Stan said, you know, he, he would tell them things on his shows, and then then they'd go turn around and do exactly what they wanted to do anyway. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, they seem to do that, like on the Incredible Hulk, from what I've read. Yeah, yeah. You know, even yeah, changing I, the name of, of Bruce Banner. You know. Yeah, yeah, and the the uh, producer creator of that went into that because I think he wanted to stay away from the the alliteration of the name mm-hmm. as much. He said he felt that that sounded a little comic to him. You know. Uh, uh, and he wanted to get away from that and give it a more serious tone. And I think, I don't remember if uh, if we got that quote in there from Stan, but I think he was happier with, with the Hulk than most of the other uh, adaptations that hit the small screen. I think overall the Hulk is probably the most successful out of all of the, the uh, coming back back then. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It lasted mm-hmm. the longest at its own, uh, what, three telefilms that spun off from it in the 90s. The stars were definitely dedicated to the show. Did these productions have large budgets back then for the special effects, or were they just kind of on their own? 
a lot of the people spoke about moderate budgets. Um, thinking about Spider-Man specifically, uh, the gentleman who produced, I think the the first real season of that was also somebody who worked on Hawaii Five O. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he said uh, Spider-Man came in at uh, I think around four hundred thousand an episode, and Hawaii Five O had six hundred fifty thousand, something like that. So it wasn't a, a horrible budget, but it wasn't anything great either. Mm-hmm. And I think that held true for most of the shows we covered. I think most of them, except for The Flash, were given moderate budgets to work with. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, but Batman was also like a very expensive TV show to produce. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why it went off the air, because it was just mm-hmm. way, it got way too expensive for all the guest stars and the sets and whatever. And their nice full-color TV. Yeah. Did you find that these, the, a lot of the stories... Uh, the, the scripts were original, or did you find that they kind of adapted them from the comics? Mostly original, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the things that we we spoke about in here. I think uh, what, aside from Superboy, that relied heavily on comic influences, a lot of the shows uh, did the original scripts. But Superboy had a large base of comic talent that worked on it and pulled in a lot of comic influences for the show, including costume superheroes. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm sorry, costume supervillains. George, what do you think it takes these days to have a successful cart- or a, not a cartoon, but a, a successful superhero TV show? I don't know. A lot of teenagers and stuff. Yeah. I mean, because if you look at like shows like Birds of Prey that just didn't, didn't find an audience, or Witchblade or something like that. Hmm. That's tough. I think it looks like you know if, you, if we're judging it on Smallville, it's like it looks like you need more of that tween sort of audience, you know, like kids in their teens and twenties. It seems people more interested in that particular show, mm-hmm. like more of the the young cast, you know, and the sexiness and their look and that sort of thing, than the superhero stuff, you know, per se. Because if you look at like the Tick, it didn't necessarily take off, you know. Because maybe it was on a bad time slot. Or, maybe, you know, something about the take just didn't work. You know, or the take of Birds of Prey. Maybe they weren't the right show at the right time. Mm-hmm. And Birds of I Prey, I mean, I mean, sorry, and Smallville sort of follows that same formula, like Dawson's Creek and that sort of stuff. You know, you got your ensemble, you know. Mm-hmm. And television it's, it's, it's impossible for you to do what you can do on the big screen. You know, like they don't have that sort yeah. of budget on a weekly basis. You know. Jason, what do you think? Why do you, what, what makes a successful TV show these days out of superheroes? as opposed to the big blockbuster movies? These days, I think they're going for a more uh, a more personal angle. Again, you know, looking at Smallville as an example, you know, you're focused more on the characters' lives outside of their, uh, outside of their super activities, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, it's a large part of the show, but you also get a large part of uh, what they do when they're not saving the world, too. <clears throat> you look back at shows like Superman and Batman, they didn't pay too much attention to that, and didn't pay too much attention to continuity or anything mm-hmm. along those lines. So I think uh, I think that's a big thing of what's going to make something successful now. Give the audience more more meat to get into, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think that's why a show like The Incredible Hulk did so well. It's because you cared about Bill Bixby's character, and when the Hulk was on, he would just you know Hulk smash everything. Right. But Bixby brought something to the character that made it more genuine and. From the heart, I think. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. So what other great interviews did you have in this book? I see uh, Adam West. How was he? You, 
excellent. He gave us a great quote. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he was like having, it's like, you know, I, I was telling Jason that he's like the Mickey Man, all these superhero, you know, actors. Like, he was a key person for us to have in the book because we wanted, you know, his perspective, you know, about how he views this, you know, what is it, like 40 years later. And he, he you know, I think he's more accepting of the role now and he, he looks at, he looks back on it with more fondness, you know, seeing this whole genre basically that spawned from that TV show, you know. Uh-huh. Jason, what about you? What, what interviews did you like? I was thrilled to get a hold of Nicholas Hammond, really. Uh-huh. Um, growing up, Spider-Man was always, you know, my, my favorite guy. And anything to do with that series was fantastic. So uh, I was really thrilled to get a hold of him, finally, and, and hear what he had to say about his roles. But, uh, Another one that I was very happy to, to talk to finally was Linda Carter, too, about, uh, about everything she'd done on Wonder Woman. Was one of the things that I remember watching and enjoying about these shows was all the uh, all the color and all the, the excitement and everything that came at you. And I, just, I remember Wonder Woman every week as, you know, being a very very colorful, fun show, mm-hmm. left an impression. So she was, she was good to talk with. Now, how did that show work? It went from World War II into the modern era... What was the progression of the continuity of that show? Yeah, you you got it right. The first season was in World War II, and then the second season came back, and uh, she had gone back to live on Paradise Island, and there was more threats coming up, so she got sent back into our world, what, uh, 40 years later, I think it was, 35 years later, go save us again. So yeah, over the course of one season and a network change, uh-huh. <laughs> that's what did it. They moved from... Uh, do you remember doors ABC to CBS, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Really? Was it? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the uh, one of the things the network actually one of the few things the network wanted them to do for the show when it came back the second year was to move it into more modern times. <clears throat> kind of looking to compete a little bit with uh, with uh, what Charlie's Angels and things like that that were on the air at the time. Didn't want to keep it back in the old old brown uniforms of the original service. But Lyle Wagoner still played Steve Trevor, right? He played his grandson. He played his grandson. (laughs) (laughs) And she fell in love with him too, right? Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they both had a good laugh over that. Remember Lyle Wagoner thinking it was pretty silly, but hey, you know. Mm -hmm. Hey, got him a paycheck, though. (laughs) Get called back for a second, third year, go with it. (laughs) And... George, what seems to be the hang-up with the Batman TV show DVDs? What is the whole lawsuit with that going on? Or is there a lawsuit? Or are we ever going to see it? Or what? I guess we'll, you know, everything will eventually gets done. I think the problem is, you know, you got two companies that basically own this sort of show. You know, like I think 20th Century Fox owns the series, but Warner Bros. owns the characters. And there's some sort of division, you know, over an agreement. So... Until that, they work their kinks out. You know, we're never going to see this. This, mm-hmm. but this is like the last holy grail, I think. Right? Yeah. Of DVDs. And you can see that they're slowly making progress here and there because when uh, when we first talked to George Barris, he was hopeful to get a Batmobile toy out, and we know those hit a couple years ago, and mm-hmm. they're all over the place now. The slow but sure progress that this series will eventually come out on disc. I know a lot of people would like to see it. They had the movie released on DVD, but not the TV s- series. Right. Yeah, the, the movie. The movie's owned by twenty, right? Fox. Uh-huh. Like, I think that they, they, there is less, you know, about, you know, contracts and stuff with that one. 
So that's why it's always been out there. Yeah. So tell me about the cover here from uh, Alex Ross. It's quite quite a uh, a cover here with uh, the uh, the four main characters of the DC universe. Well, I think uh, he was definitely our first choice to get the cover, you know, to to do the cover for us, and we were lucky to lucky to have his uh, great interest in it. And and boy, that trying to remember the sequence of events with that. We were talking about that a little while ago. But uh, well, yeah, we had gotten I think to do a we always had like, like Alex get the cover. Oh. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, Alex did the cover for our 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 first book, and we kind of wanted to keep that sort of momentum going. You know, we couldn't think of anybody better. And Alex really appreciates, you know, all... He's as much into the television shows as he is into the comics, of the, you know, the superhero side of this. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to him, when Jason and I talked to him, like, we, we had this idea that he was the guy, and we sort of, you know, talked about having these four, the four iconic leads of Kingdom Come, you know, basically have their television incarnations be on this cover, you know. And I think that's sort of how it came about. And Alex was very happy with how it came out all patriotic looking and stuff. And I mean, cause he has great memories of these shows. You know, they really influenced him early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even you can see it in his work. Initially. You know, whenever he draws Captain Marvel, all, or J- the Jackson Boswick Captain Marvel means a lot to him. Mm-hmm. And even like the, the Adam West Batman, like that was like when he started appreciating that that color and all that sort of stuff. And just initial discussions with him, he's all all excited about it and uh, throwing ideas back and forth. And you got to see what he came up with. I think you know. I, I know I'm thrilled with it. What series would you like to see come about as far as superheroes that hasn't been done, or maybe a revamped uh, show? Very good question. Um, it's really hard to say. So many big names have gotten a chance. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if a Green Lantern series would work or not, but that might be fun to see. Mm-hmm. That would definitely be different. Probably very expensive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, I would have liked to have seen that uh, Bruce Wayne television show that we're trying to do, like the one that would have shown you how Bruce Wayne. I think it was, that's what or it was like a young Bruce Wayne type of show that oh, the, the that's WB what, wanted to do before they did Smallville. Smallville, yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be interesting. Now, why do you think that didn't get going? Ooh, probably I the think they were movie. trying to get the movie going at the time. Yeah, and uh, he discussed a little bit in there about you know not 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 too many details of just having problems getting that cleared and just having it eventually meld into what became Smallville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are there any other series that never got off the ground? Uh, yeah, do you remember the name of the one that uh, um, they were working on for the Flash, George? There was a oh the Human Target. DeMeo that was working on this, this this fantastic series that was kind of based off Watchmen for The Flash. Oh, God. What was that called? That Justice League. Wasn't, wasn't that a Justice League series? No, it wasn't Justice League. It's kind of on the top of my... Oh. You give me a mind. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name, but they were working like on a on a, a television show which involved a lot of DC heroes. Like a it was one, sort well, actually, it was their, their original characters, but it sounded oh. like it could have been a great show. Uh, Unlimited Powers, it was called. Sounds like one of those bad 90s comics. <laughs> was that going to come out in the 90s? Is that when it was slated? I think yeah. it was like late 80s. Late 80s? Yeah, yeah right yeah. before the flash. Late okay. 80s, early 90s. That's that's what they wanted to do for CBS. And uh, again, it, it sounded like it was going to be too expensive for them. So uh, so they went to work on The Flash. Well, The Flash turned out to be a pretty good show. I like that show. Yeah. 
Nobody watched it. <laughs> I know. Well, it was. It was again. They don't give them the, the best time slots. That's the other problem. That seems to be the yeah, curse. A whole you know, bunch of things conspired to kill the Flash at the end, including the Gulf War and <laughs> you know, schedule roulette and everything else. Do you guys get a chance to? Uh, I'm just going off the top of my head here. The uh, the Captain America TV show. Yeah, yep, that's in here. Yeah, that was a great show. <laughs> I love his, you know, the uh, the motorcycle. I mean, everything was mm-hmm. so, I want to say campy, but it was actually a pretty good show. I liked that show growing up. That's a word we try to avoid in this book, you know, like campy. Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, it's, it's I know, the word's taboo, but. <laughs> I mean, it's like some people found this fun, you know, like once you put that word out there, like there's a certain vision of this, and like. Like it, 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 it sort of cheapens the shows a bit, you know. Right, exactly. And like a lot of people have great memories of these shows. Like you said, like there's a lot of division even on Captain yeah. America. It's like a lot of guys don't, you know, they just can't stand it that he does is what is it, a van or something. He drives around the country, yeah, his like, van and his guy. motorcycle and hang glider yeah. and everything. Oh, it's great. I can remember watching it as a kid and having the 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 helmet and the clear shield throw me. Right. But, you know, once once you see the shield used as the windscreen on the bike and then you realize, you know, the, the helmet's there for that, yeah, okay, I guess you can you can kind of live with it. But, but uh, you know, it's definitely different than seeing it in the comic. I don't know if you remember or not, but his uniform looked completely different in the first film. And uh, they changed it to look, you know, except for the helmet again, pretty comic accurate in the second movie. Uh-huh. Well, guys, another thing I want to touch on before I let you go is your first book on G-Force. That is still in publication. George, what can you tell me about that one while I got you guys on here? Well, that's how I met Jason. Like, after uh, doing Komoda, uh, John Law asked me what I wanted to do, and, like, that was a book I always wanted to do. Like, Battle of the Planets was a show I loved growing up. And while we were trying to get permission to do this, like, I would hear about... Uh, there was this guy who knew everything about Battle of Planets that I had to talk to, and that turned out to be Jason. And then once we talked to him, you know, we became friends right away. And, and I asked him, you know, like if he would be interested in writing this. And this was something he wanted to write since, like, he had started, you know, getting it. You know, since it was, he had a vision because he wanted to do a book as well, so we just sort of teamed up and we did what we set out to do. You know, we did a book about our favorite TV show from, you know, our childhood. Yeah, I was working at uh, at Sandy Frank Entertainment at the time, the people who own G-Force Battle of Planets. And it started on that in-house. And, uh, yeah, you know, we, we got the proposal. And I talked with George. And like you said, you know, we hit it off right away and decided to work together on it. We both had similar uh, similar visions of what we wanted to do with it and came together fairly easily. Has there anything been new on the G-Force line since you guys wrote that book that you can amend to that book even? Oh yeah, yeah. Always, you know, there's always news and information happening with the series. Most of it in Japan right now, uh-huh. but uh, you know, they're they're working on a computer or a CG film for it for uh, Gotchaman for worldwide release. And uh, there are other projects being worked on in Japan at the moment, and it's always something that we can do to update that if if we ever can. I know that we both love to revisit it and flesh out the book more. I think it'll be a great project to get back to one of these days. Excellent. Anything else you want to add, George, Jason? I just hope I'd, people... Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm probably going to say about the same thing you were. 
you know, I, I really hope people read this and enjoy it for for what it is, you know, for the the fun of it all, and and uh, get some of the old memories back that they may have had watching these shows growing up. And and uh, who did we have uh, tell us that those it was going to be like a piece of candy, George? You remember that? So that's what John Morrow said when he initially saw like the design. <laughs> I mean, we just want people to have fun, you know. Remember. But like that's what we, you know, the experience we had working on this book, and it's taken so long here because we've tried to make this a really good book. You know, this isn't something we just did in a month. You know, we've had over five years. You know, mm-hmm. and we try, we gave it everything you know that we had, and we really wanted it to be something that people you know relish and enjoy. You know, and reminds them of why they got into comics or why they love these superhero television shows and that sort of stuff. Well, it's going to be a it great book. Like a oh, go ahead. No, that's all I want people to get from this, you know, to get, to just get something, you know, like really an awakening, you know, like why they love this genre, why they like comics, you know, that's what it did for me. Yeah, take a look at it and remember why you liked it and maybe you'll learn a few things about uh, about the production of the shows that, uh, <clears throat> that were unknown to the general public before, you know, that that's always good to pass along, clear up a few mis- uh, myths and misunderstandings about some of these shows. I think those are our main goals. And do you have a checklist in this book of everything that's been on TV? or um, Not really. We've got a timeline in the beginning. You know, okay. we, we tried to stick pretty faithfully to uh, costumed superheroes from comics. So, you know, that's why a lot of, uh, oh, I don't know what, something like Heroes isn't in there. You know, it's it's influenced by comics, but, but not from comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, Greatest American Hero is a, is a special case. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's part of one of our commercial break sections, and that's why he's in there. He's set aside a little bit, but you know, we, we definitely felt he was a comic influence. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Well, The Age of TV Heroes is going to be out at the late summer, we hope, and it's a 192-page hardcover for thirty nine ninety five. Guys, thanks for uh, being on the tune-in this month. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, thanks for asking us. Had a great time. I want to thank Jason and George for coming on the show this month. I really am looking forward to this book. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be a great reference tool as well. So the sooner this book comes out, the better for me anyway. Hey, thanks for coming by the Tomorrow's Tune In this week, and be sure to check out my podcast, The Collected Comics Library, the comic book and trade paperback podcast, the only podcast that is solely dedicated to news, information, and reviews on all sorts of comic book collected editions. Again, my name is Chris Marshall, and you can email me with questions or comments at collectedcomicslibrary at gmail.com. And come by, like I said at the top of the show, to tomorrows.com. And if you get a chance, hey, go over to iTunes and leave us an iTunes review. Always loving those. And just to give you a little information, next month on the show, we're going to give you all the happenings about what's going on with Tomorrow's Publishing at the Comic-Con International in San Diego. So look forward to that. Until next month, everybody, take care. Bye-bye.